Exit for Podcast Newton's Magic and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things Exes for Podcast, check out Exes for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Welcome back to another all-new X's for Podcast, your premier comic podcast for Mutant Marvels, Chronos Gaming Classics, and more. I'm Nico, and you guys can catch me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And I'm TK. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at XMateXGrayX. And I'm Nathan. You can find me online at Twitter and uh, like pretty much every social at DazzlerAOA. That's like Dazzler in the age of apocalypse. Hello, it's me, Steve. And you can find me on Twitter, on Tumblr, on Amazon, on Hive, if it's still there, at HowdyDuda, that's H-O-W-D-Y-D-U-D-A. And my pronouns are they and them. Hello. Hey, everyone. It's Jonah. You can follow me on socials at PeakJonah. That's P-E-A-K. And we hope you survive this experience. So we're talking about New Mutants 32 and 33. This amazing story was brought to us by Charlie Jane Anders as our writer, Alberto Abicarque with Rosine and uh, Ted Brandt. And they are on the Young Morgan and Sheila part as our artist. Our colorist is Carlos Lopez and Tamara Von Villain. Also, Tamara Von Villain is on the Young Sheila and Morgan. And our letterer is VC's Travis Lanham. So we are at the final arc of the Krakoan New Mutant Saga. The last issue we're talking about, the last few issues we're talking about. Before we get into this book, overall, where have you got where have y'all been with New Mutants as a whole as a book? Are you sad to see it go? Yeah, I'm gonna I, I miss the Vita stuff. I missed some of the Brisson stuff. Uh this this arc was fun, but I felt like what I loved already ended ended and yeah. this was definitely something different and yeah. I'm excited to see it get its own number one because it just was not numbers like 29 or 31 or whatever of right. another book so my shit was already over and I loved it uh, and I'm, I'm really excited to see where this book goes for this new team and these new creators. Yep. Definitely the numbering is a little bit confusing insofar as we are doing these last few issues with Charlie Jane Anders who's fantastic and then ending starting a new book with Charlie Jane Anders and kind of it seems like the same team the big focus on Sheila, who is a great character, but it feels like maybe we ought to have stopped at 30 and started the new number, the new book there. So a little bit confusing, and I think that's been one of the big problems in these later years of the Krakoan era, where we as fans are just sort of not really clear on what's going on with our ongoings and our minis, and, you know, when the minis are kind of grouped together as an ongoing, but it's still, you know, restarting every five issues. It gets a little confusing, and, you know, unfortunately, sometimes that can hurt the enjoyment of the content but overall we have all become I think adept at figuring it out and I really did love this run I love that Vita created so many queer trans mutants and then got to import them into this reality and that a another trans creator was able to take a lot of those characters and do more with them and add their own just really exciting overall to see kind of this legacy pull through and change hands Hands, and it kind of gives me hope that like we're normalizing this in creative and editorial such that other people will be able to continue the tradition as well. Yeah, I agree with TK. I, I in some respects there, I am um, not particularly happy about New Mutants being quote unquote canceled uh, at the end of this three issue run and started off again with a new miniseries. I just feel like New Mutants is the longest running Krakoan book apart from X-Force. I mean, they've been going the same amount of time, but it has less issues and it's had like a wonderful continuity the whole time. It would have made more sense 
to break up the Jonathan Hickman and Ed Brisson runs apart from the Vita Ayala run to begin with. Yeah. But I feel a little bit like ending on a first story by the ongoing new writer of the series and then finishing the series and then starting up again with a miniseries feels, I don't know the minds of Marvel, but it feels like it's sending a message to the readership that like, hey, like you don't really have to check this one out or like, you know, maybe only if you want to. And I feel like that's, I feel like it's harmful to break up Charlie Jane Anders between two, her run on New Mutants between two separate volumes. You know, maybe it will be fine for the readers. I personally, one thing I do like about it is that we're getting a clean break from the Sheila Sexton introductory story before the run starts in earnest. So we've got a little bit of an introduction here at the end. It's sort of like a bookend and it finishes out, you know, a story that started outside of New Mutants. So now we have a clean break and a new slate to start on with Lethal Legion. But I wish it wasn't starting with a limited end date, you know? Absolutely. New Mutants has been a book that I think for me has had pretty consistent enjoyment throughout, no matter the writer, whatever era we've been in. I do think Marvel needs to work on the numbering a little bit. I understand that they don't really want to like constantly be breaking off and like having so many restarts but i also understand that when you don't do it that way it makes it feel like everything is continuous like we're starting through everything should be from the exact same story and we'll have the exact same characters or somebody new be added like there shouldn't be too much of a cast change but there's a lot of variations in the stories throughout new mutant the entire run that we got since the start of the krakona era that i do think it is a little confusing as a fan and reader to go through this and go uh this is a little hard to like follow because i am excited to be looking forward to a new title as always i am interested to see like what that means what is that going to look like how that how that's going to go i will say i do think that the title of new mutants should never really go away i think there's always a market i think there's always a story there i think there's always a cast of characters you could choose from for new mutants and i do hope that the title new mutants by itself does come back one day and i feel bad for nathan more than anybody poor nathan got like ball tapped on the soul with karma being on the cover of 33 <laughs> yeah where's where's one why is she not in anything like like what and i'm like after she got her for real real life name now <laughs> that's not a made up name well she's got that love unlimited story we're gonna do yeah so that, that's a good story everybody read it, it it's yeah. a really good story it's really important to karma as a character so you know i i think i, I gotta say like i i like a lot of the ideas of this arc i think maybe it wasn't done the justice because i don't think it got a full arc set of issues because we only got three issues of this arc is the last arc for new mutants the first introduction to charlie jane anders so i think like any of my criticisms of the story itself it's just i don't feel like we really had enough time to get it flushed out i love i love a lot of what she is doing to and what she's how she's introducing actual trans characters that matter into the story vita they did an amazing job of introducing a lot of these characters i don't think they got to develop them maybe as much as they would have wanted to but they were also telling a story about our main group of new mutants mainly who we consider more as like the new mutants when we think of i did like rain as sort of the og new mutants kind of point of character point of reference in this and i, I gotta say charlie jane anders did something that i kind of thought would be impossible she sort of made me not hate rain as much i know vita had done a lot of work you know redeeming the character before but i think charlie jane anders really stuck that landing with a sort of redemption of rain as a character 
character that we could all enjoy. How did you like her use of Rain in the story? Um, you know, and do you think that did it do something similar to you for you, or were you already like, yeah, I love Rain? I love having Rain in the story because Rain is a werewolf, and you got to put werewolf in the story that features all the trans and trans adjacent mutants. I think yeah. that's a, I think that's clever. I think having her and Sarah Bella's in here is great. I think Kosmar is like the only person that I would have maybe expected who is missing. Rain is a fun choice. Emma Frost is a good, is a great choice. Destiny's wife is trans, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of fun uh, addition of characters in there. And as you know, I already love Rain. I just ignore all the really shit stories that have been written about her in the last ten to fifteen years. <laughs> I mean, but, a lot of it's just Peter David. So if you don't read, Peter yeah, David. but it's it's not all down to him. It's, it is down to a lot of people firmly believing, I guess, that somebody who had already escaped from a religious cult would react in this way, and that's fine. And we don't need to talk too much about that. But Rain is in a really good place now, <laughs> and Rain has been in the best place that she's been since she was a teenager, really, in Krakoa. And I like that she's taking the opportunity to maybe make up for some past wrongs specifically in her academic life, although I don't really think she should be around kids anymore. I feel like that's a story that we now have to just say didn't happen because there's just no resolving it any other way. I really appreciate how Vita and Charlie Jane Anders have a good shorthand when it comes to kind of updating us on what the new mutants are doing, such that like I think with very little page and panel time, we understand that Karma and Danny are pretty heavily teaching. They're working really hard to train the next generation. Unfortunately, I feel like things might be better served by having two books, The Lost Club and New Mutants. The kids get most of that time, and it's great. It's all really good time. And the New Mutants, when they are working with the kids, they get more focus. A lot of that has been rain. It's just gotten a little bit muddled and like, you know, we just haven't gotten as much time with all of them and all of them together as I was kind of hoping because we were doing these great stories about the kids. And this is a really good example of like, Danny and Karma don't go. So we get a great story for Sheila. We get a great story for Sarah Bella. We have some really good time with the Lost Club together. I love all of that. We get some development for Rain, but what starts as a really cool moment for Danny and Karma, they just kind of disappear. And I kind of wish that I was reading their book where I was following what they're doing in the classroom at the same time as one of the other teachers is doing a field trip. So, you know, none of it is... A plot Exactly. A plot B pot. We want want that... We want want more of that B plot that disappears. Evidently it dances a lot, but yeah. (laughs) I know that... Oh, I was just saying, I know that Lethal Legion is meant to lead into the fall of X, so it's something that's going to take up most of next year before we get a shift. I'm hoping that we see an ongoing New Mutants start, uh, like, comic come out of that. I really, I do think it would be great to separate the Lost Club and the New Mutants into separate books. I think the Lethal Legion mini is a great opportunity to do that, especially since a lot of these kids that I personally love following from New Mutants and uh, have been created in in those pages and in Prisoner X are going to be in Bishop's War College. So a lot of those characters are getting spread around a lot more than they used to be. So maybe there's more opportunity for the series to focus on the original New Mutants as well now. Like Sublime. Sublime's getting spread out a lot more than he ever used to be. (laughs) Yeah. Sublime everywhere. It's just Sublime. You want Sublime? I got Sublime for you. And I'm cool. I'm cool. I'm cool. I love pilfering from sacred runs because nothing should be sacred. It's at a shared company. Everyone should touch it. No one's special. Right? Just make sure that you know what you're doing with it. I'm sure the writers using Sublime know what they're doing with it. I'm so worried about the fact that all of a sudden Sublime's in a ton of books. Now I'm wondering if like Sublime is going to be how the bad guys have a Krakoan protocol. Maybe through Sublime they can come back. Yeah, I I wonder why 
why they're pivoting, pivoting so hard to Sublime in such a big way. And now I really want M-Plate hopped up on Sublime just to see what happens. Well, that would be gross. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think Rain was a good choice if you're picking a proper New Mutant, or I should say classic New Mutant, someone that the audience is much more familiar with, to kind of help guide these younger characters throughout this story. I think Rain was written well. I don't know if I liked this particular voice for Emma, though. I do think Agreed. Emma was a little off in this book. I'm not sure exactly what it was. It felt like more Emma was like the mean principal. And I can imagine that role, but I don't know if it was quite brought to a level where yeah, like, I really got agreed. the connection of where Emma's current characterization can help fill what the role needed for what the role was needed for this book. Agreed. And like rereading it last night, like me and Steve got in a conversation about really are Destiny and Emma friends? Like, <laughs> like would they be friends? Like, I, I don't like I, Emma's probably the one who Destiny has talked to the most since she's been resurrected that we've seen on panel. At least, so. yeah. I feel Destiny like they hang a little bit. Yeah, Destiny, Destiny needs to. Have I, maybe you know, neither of them can really be friends with anybody, but I feel like, right. like, <laughs> like they both enjoy each other's like stoicism and appreciation for the finer things in life. Let's say. I also thought I agree, Jonah, insofar as like I don't think that the book was going for this. I think it accidentally stumbled upon it. But I sort of read it as like they maybe weren't as sinister as they appeared. It was from the kids perspective and from the new mutants perspective that they were kind of seeing them as a little bit more like um salacious and kind of just in it for their own purposes i think you can read it that way i don't necessarily think that's the intention but i really like the idea that if immortal x-men was approaching what emma was doing in mutants you might see a perspective wherein she was really doing the thing that she always does which is trying her best to take care of the children and when you see it in new mutants you're just seeing her bring down the commands and seem like kind of an asshole and that's just sort of how i how i attempted to kind of fudge what i feel like is just a little more like i'm emma frost and i do what i want and you follow my rules if we so, can i think we need to talk about the kids perspective i'm glad you brought that up because i think that's like pretty much this entire series hinges on that on how these kids view things versus how we view things because i'm, I'm just gonna say it like i gotta come out and say it this series would be way more satisfying if i didn't have to constantly in my head kind of think that everybody in this doesn't know things that they do know yeah. or that they you know it's it's really tough to get around the whole like everybody knows about resurrection including these kids everybody knows that they're going to come back from the dead i think the only way that this series works and is more satisfying is looking at it from the kids perspective and thinking like all right so these kids know now that they will be resurrected the main thing is that they don't want to die they're teenagers who have never died uh, it's much like at the beginning of way of x when nightcrawler had that moment with pixie where you know he has to he has to worry about this whole like oh my god but like the blood will be on my hands and i think that's something that's being picked up here by charlie jane anders and i wish that the i wish that the story and the dialogue and the themes of it had made that more of a focus uh if that makes any sense because the only way i can really understand this like absolute panic and fear is through something that's introduced in these three issues which is that sheila has an intense fear of being the person who causes harm to her friends and it's something that sarah bella confronts her with i think it's i think it's like the pivot of this entire series is that scene 
scene where Sarabella is like, you're not worried about giving me what I need and want right now to yeah, make me happy. Was... You're worried about not feeling guilty for what you're going to do to me. And that's not right. That's not what yeah. helps me. That's only helping you. And by the end of the series, Sheila makes, you know, the choice of switching herself out for Morgan to save Morgan's life and making that sacrifice and saying like, although I don't want to die, I'm going to do it. And I hope for resurrection, even though we we all know frustratingly that that will 100% happen. Sheila is still not completely sure about it. But I really like that the main thing is that Sheila, the whole series has not been worried necessarily about whether they won't come back. I think she's just worried about feeling guilty for causing that harm to her friend regardless, because it is going to be traumatic. It is going to be harm. And she's new to this whole being immortal and being a mutant thing. So it makes sense for her, especially as a teenager with huge emotions or maybe a young woman to be extremely, you know, frightened and panicked about this whole idea and for both of them to be panicked about it. It's just that we as the readers know that that is not a problem. For us, it feels like there's no stakes, no tension, no actual problem there. So we have to see it from their perspective. I think it would be so much easier if this was like in a comic that was outside of the X line, because then readers who didn't know about all that would be introduced to the idea. There's a lot going on there. And like, I mean, there's so much I love in the story. The that is an important lesson for anybody to learn that sometimes what you feel is going to be your responsibility and your guilt and your burden is just you centering yourself in somebody else's problem when that is not what needs to be done to make harm go away or to make them the most happiness in a situation or to make people feel safe or comfortable to make them actually safe or comfortable the other important thing that i really loved about it was the idea that we never saw morgan die in that in that dream sequence and nobody ever did so obviously there was going to be something and it's something so simple and something so silly as just having your friends there to catch you when you fall like the the way out of this whole conundrum was just to have community with other mutants like you other people like you other trans people like you and for them to be there to support you when you fall after you've been there to support them you know and that literally happens when leo catches sheila as she falls and saves her life and it's just like duh i mean like i i hate to say that because like it's an important lesson i really hope young kids i hope young mutants i hope young trans people i hope young queer people pick this up and learn something that changes their life and starts them thinking on a path towards like community and you know supporting each other and not not going it alone and not not trying to take it all on yourself but it's also just like after after everything we've read in the Kirkcoan era we know about community we know about how important it is we know about how that is so this does feel like to me it should have been a number one I think it would have been so much more powerful if the series was one two three of a new series there's there's so much I love but there's so much that it's hard to be satisfied with because of the necessary perspective that is forced on the reader yep that is a great last thought my last thought is along the same lines I think it would have maybe done the series a lot more justice to have the miniseries start with issue 31 and you know give Charlie Jane Anders a longer run I, I love what it is doing for visibility it was a hard jump from Vita's to Charlie Jane Anders I know there'd be a Danny Lore in the middle there but you know it was a really hard jump from that and I think it would probably would have been served better with the new number one it was a decent art it's hard to say how Charlie Jane Anders new mutants run is going to be until we see a little bit more of it I think you guys covered a lot of what what I was thinking and feeling about this I'm really interested in trans identity as gender identity versus mutant identity versus transhumanism. Charlie Jane Anders is so good at discussing all of these things. I knew her primarily as a writer of sci-fi and of transhumanist science fiction. And just like the male rights activist, like, why can't we be more than one thing if you can be? Was just really great and good satire, but also great application. And that's what I see there being a lot of value in her writing for this particular sphere. But yeah, I mean, would have been great to maybe start this as its own thing earlier. This is a really great use of the U-Men, which I can't say about almost any other writer who tries to pick on Morrison threads. I think there's some really great ideas here and a really, like, I think the arc to 
tells a really a lot of important lessons, themes, stories. It touches on so many wonderful things that I think are so important to have in the world of comics, to have in the world of fiction that anybody could pick up and anybody can read. I really do think, though, that this wasn't the best way to end the series because okay. it doesn't feel like a goodbye to the series. This uh, It feels like the series did end with 30 and then we kind of just kind of stumbled on like, wait, we got one last little hurrah, but I don't know if this is the proper place for it. So that's where I, my enjoyment is a little bit fuddled because I don't know if I can fully appreciate what the story was trying to tell me and everything because we're trying to say, well, this is the end of the series. And I go, but, but, but what about, we're not going to say goodbye to like Mondo or Chamber, <laughs> people who like headline this book that we haven't seen. Like there's a lot that I think yeah. was missed as an opportunity to send this book off. So we're going to talk about Marauders number nine and Marauders number nine has an exquisite creative team uh, featuring Steve Orlando, who has done so much as a queer writer in the Marvel offices, uh, killing it so much on Marauders. And I have been such a big fan of the work there. One of the best things about this title is that it has shown so much artistic dexterity. So the first thing I want to talk about is Eleonora Carlini's art alongside Matt Mila and Ariana Mar on letters. The big thing for me here is I love this art, but I feel sometimes like this art makes the story a little harder to follow and vice versa. I feel like there's a difficulty in bringing these two things together for me. I kind of of love their suit, but it also makes it really, really hard sometimes to tell what character is talking. Like, I had to reread through a lot of it to say, like, wait, who is it? That's a, a female-shaped character, so is it Tempo? Is it Kate? As cool as the art was, that part of it detracted from me. I don't think that was just a way to make it ask. I think there could have been a better way to make the characters more clear as to who was speaking, who was doing what at times. Hi, I'm Jake. I'm a person, and you can find me on Twitter at Omega Sentinel. At OH Mega Sentinel. And you can also find me on Instagram at The Heart Farmer. I really love this art. I mean, like, it, it took me a while to kind of wrap my head around the the movement and the, the, the energy of it. And I do agree that sometimes it can be a little hard to follow with the who's speaking side, which is not a great look. But I like the I like that the names are on the costumes and that's like helping me along because I think somewhere along the line there's this conceit that it can be a little hard to follow. And so sometimes we do need to just put people's names on the side so we know who's talking. But that said, <laughs> I love the unbreathing. I think they're so cool looking. I, I love the dream sequence, the, the whole dialogue between Aki and uh, Somnus. Eleonora does some really great tender, quiet moments, but is really big on big, big, big moments. Really, like, I just, the, these colorful, explosive, neon uh, active moments, really, they get me so excited, especially for these big battles. So I'm, I just, I, I like it a lot. And it's grown on me because they've been consistently on this book for so much of it. So I'm going to stay here as a fan and advocate advocate of it in a big way pulling hard it's so funny you're describing the stuff that doesn't work for me so exuberantly <laughs> and like i i love that you are my partner and that we live together and i get the energy from you because i don't feel it on my end naturally and that's okay but like you know you described the scene with somnus anaki and that really to me is one of the most beautiful because it is still and because it is simple and because we get 
to see this artist's very particular style in a way where there's no possible confusion. And there's this beautiful queer moment that is rendered in a style. Like, I mean, the, the only thing that kind of compares for me and thinking about it right off the top of my head is Bob Quinn doing the kiss between mm-hmm. uh, Betsy and Rachel, where it's just like this distinct artist who it will go in my head forever. And the same thing is true of Eleanor Carlini doing Somnus and Akihiro. But when we get into the action-y moments, it is so chaotic that even the labels, which I do appreciate, can't quite get me there in sort of being able to do the work that I love to do in comics of creating the movement in my mind. They're really beautiful, but they still just aren't... The functionality is really tough for me. And that is absolutely in part a me thing. Yeah, I really love the art for the series. The art is the driving force for it for me. The art and the colors are both super important to me. I think the art has this amazing dynamism and kinetic sense of motion, like Jake was saying. It reminds mm-hmm. me very specifically of Simone de Mayo's work on We Only Find Them When They're Dead, which has just this like fast, incredibly action, uh, very sharp angled look to it that has always been like, it really fits that series well. And I think it fits here really well because the series is doing a lot of like really similar sci-fi, cool design things. Everybody looks fucking gorgeous. Like Kate Pride has mm-hmm. not looked this hot ever. Tempo is just so beautiful every time we see her. Thea is like just a goddess, literally looks yeah. like a goddess of the moon. It's phenomenal. Grove. I, I think everything Grove looks... Grove is amazing, yeah. Yeah, Grove looks phenomenal. They're just like... Yeah. Been, but love. yeah, the, the, artist, the artist is amazing, but I, I think that the idea of having the suits is necessitated by the story. Having the names on the suits is necessitated by being completely unable to tell who's in them most of the time. And <laughs> while, it's a, while it is a band-aid on a problem caused by the story, I don't know that the art always fully gets there. And I think it's just because sometimes those legs are not visible. Sometimes I cannot see sure. whose leg it is. And <laughs> just by body shape, and that slows me down in this otherwise very fast-paced and energetic book. I also I also think the art is very fast where the writing is very slow. I think the dialogue oh, is so off- dialogue. The dialogue oh, is often funky. Mm-hmm. It is often it, it is doing these yeah. huge concepts, but it is throwing all of this terminology at you all the time. The enriched, the enshrined, the gasping generation, the great oxygenation event, all these the, the house of whatever. There's it's throwing so much at you to the point where you don't even have guns, you have choke staffs and night guns and stuff like that. And that makes me want to read this book over the course of an hour, whereas the art makes me want to read it over the course of five minutes. Yeah. And that tension is really strange. Regards the color work, being able to tell who Sublime and Archie are, so important to have the hair color, so important to have the the bubbles that are colored with their voices, because otherwise I would not know who anybody is in this comic at all. It looks great. It looks gorgeous. I can't always follow the action. That's a problem in comics. And I think it's because this book is trying to do so much at all times. The amount of story that's kind of piled on itself, yeah. it almost feels like this book is desperate to tell you its relevance by comparing itself in juxtaposition to earlier concepts. I love that we're doing Cassandra Nova and Sublime and the Shi'ar and time travel and the 90s and 2099 and Kate and queer new mutants and like uh, nothing has a chance to breathe in the 10th issue if you count the annual. I feel like Steve Orlando is so busy flexing. He's not really taking the time to allow me to appreciate the beauty of 
I, I you absolutely Agreed. nailed it. Absolutely Agreed. nailed it. Because Steve Orlando Absolutely. is doing some like big brain Grant Morrison attempting stuff. Like I really respect that Steve Orlando is swinging for the fences and trying to do something big like New X-Men was doing. I wish more writers in the X office would do that. I think that is necessary. And sometimes it doesn't always work. And I don't know if this series always works. This one, I felt like the small things work best. Like that scene with Samna Sanaki that you both brought up is is so beautiful. It is so heartwarming. It's tragic. It, it touched me in all the right places. I, I think the series is really good when it gets a chance to slow down and do that but it has not had that breathing room. So I would love to hear everybody's thoughts on the story and the art as we kind of transition out of this maybe less big issue of Marauders preparing for next issue, which is a bit more to talk about. So everybody yep. hit me with your sort of like summation thoughts on Marauders. So for me, like a lot to love, but there's a lot in this. There's a <laughs> lot. There's so much. It's like Steve Orlando's like, this might be my only X run. Let me throw everything I want to deal with in this. I, and like, I think... I I think if Steve Orlando had pulled back and he had maybe not added so many of the elements and because we, we know where he was trying to get to with story I think if he'd stripped some of it down it might have been a more emotionally compelling arc yeah. it's got a lot of cool good stuff in there it's just so rushed and so fast like this whole ten, nine issues so far probably could have been stretched out into different arcs so that they made sense things were a little bit more like important I think throwing 2099 in and then just like kind of like bye and then now like now at the end of this issue, we got Strife in there, and it's like, oh, I've got so many questions. Like, <laughs> how how are you Strife? How do we know that you're Strife and not Abel? <laughs> like, well, because Abel doesn't dress like that's, But, that's like, if he's cow. grown that's from clone DNA, like, how do we, how, like, how, did he, like, have memories? I don't know. Well, I'm this so is, well there's a bunch of Strife clones, and there's a bunch good, of Cable clones in the Cable point, series, though. so, you know. But this is a, this is a good point in, insofar as, like, there's still, there's still a greater bot that being developed that yeah. includes things like the puzzle box that we still is like our, our our full series MacGuffin that we're chasing after. Um, why is Strife there when Strife should be dead at this point? And how did he pop out of the puzzle box in Primordial Sea? Like there are, I love this series. I love the whole thing. I think this thing is like written for someone exactly like me. I like, yes, it you is. know, I, I talk about how like X-Men is such a, for me is such a like a fundamental part of like my personal mythology and my symbolic vocabulary. And so seeing all of these characters, these, you know, somewhat random pulls in some ways together, interacting, being the most, themselves that they have ever gotten to be some of it, but like in Heather's case, you know, getting yeah. to be the most herself that she's ever been able to be. It's rewarding seeing all of this history be pulled on, getting pulled on is really fun. Seeing how Steve is weaving story together, adding to it, building on it without taking anything away from the stories that came before, I think, is satisfying. And I love the project of this is mutant history, like not short term, but long term, up and down the timeline. Um, and I'm sure that somehow it's going to loop back around if you've got a Mysterium puzzle box that has a stripe seat in it. I just I'm so here for the ride. I yeah, sometimes I have to go back and read through the dialogue again, but that's kind of that's that's rewarding for me. I, I really I enjoy the rehash. I enjoy the like, oh, I missed that on the first time. And I know that that's not how everyone reads, and so it's not going to really ring true for everyone in that way, but I just, I'm having so much fun with this series. Every every new arc that we get, we're in the future, we're in the past, we're in space. I love it, and it's all X-Men relevant because the X-Men have all been there. That's what I talk about when I say that I love being your partner because I don't 100% feel that way. I don't hate this, but like I don't love it the way you do, but your energy and love for it is invigorating to me and also just kind of goes to show that like, yeah, not every series has to be everybody's favorite and not everybody's big swings have to work for 
you know, two people in the same household, as long as they're not complete failures, there's a lot of merit there. And I don't think this is a complete failure at all. I think it's really great. I just don't necessarily have that same enthusiasm. The one thing that I will say that I, I that hasn't been brought up yet is that the idea that Sublime is in both this and New Mutants, but I'm not seeing any real connection right. is I'm not blaming either author, but it is right. a bit of a disappointment at this point. And I think it just, le- yeah, there's a footnote, but like, we're not really seeing like, is this a plan that Sublime is pulling off in the past? It's difficult to do that given the confines of the story, but I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I can see why it might not be happening, but since we're seeing them both in both stories, the it's a bit of a disconnect for me. It, it we don't need anything else added to the story. <laughs> Especially true. Sublime seems like a different person in Marauders and in, and in New Mutants. Why do them both at the same time if not to tell a story to them? But I, I agree. I think this series has a lot of like flaws that I can pick up on, you know, just stuff that maybe doesn't work for me as well. Like sometimes the dialogue doesn't work for me as well. Sometimes yep, it yep. feels like muddy or difficult to get through. I know that the extremely convoluted plot and the overstuffed like <laughs> plot, again, that is a real turnoff for a lot of my friends who are reading the series and stuff like that. But I found the art to be inassailable throughout the series. I've loved looking at it. Uh, I think the fact that everybody gets interesting in different skin tones is really cool. Um, that's, mm-hmm. a, a, that's a bar that is in hell. But it's amazing. And like healthy proportioned bodies too. And we're actually getting tempo. Like, come on. I, I, I gotta like give all uh, the credit in the world for that. We're actually getting some tempo like characterization. Like it's probably the most characterization ever she's had. Like even throughout X-Force because she was always just like, I'm a terrorist, but I want to go to school and not be a terrorist. And she's so much more complex than that now. I love story. Yep. I agree. Oh, that's, yeah. that's, that's story it's so beautiful. These, these characters are characters that get underserved everywhere else and they're getting served well here, except for Aurora, you know, whatever. But I completely agree. Tempo is my favorite part of the series. If, like, we're not getting a lot of Bishop. We're not getting a ton of Cape Pride, although we do get some fun stuff in the next issue. But, like, it, it, it's Akihiro. It's Somnus. It's it's Tempo who are really getting these, like, front and center yep. characterizations and character developments in big, big, big ways. I, I love that. that. I like that that prioritization scheme. That makes me happy. love how the X lines are actually taking these characters from the Pride specials and making them important. Yeah. So, like, That's thumbs good. up when, like, a lot of times we get those characters and they're like, one shot and they never appear again. But, like, both Sheila Escapade and um, Somnus both first appeared in the Pride special. So, bravo. Love it. Speaking of things that involve Kate Pride, we're going to come back with some Immortal X-Men coverage that's going <laughs> to burn everything down. I love doing this book because I feel like no matter what the roundtable nature of what we do here makes it feel like it's a council meeting for us. <laughs> yes. So anyway, <laughs> we're talking, of course, about Immortal X-Men number nine, written by Kieran Gillen, art by Lucas Vernick, uh, color art by David Curiel, with letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. You guys, are we are we ready? Is this getting us ready? Are we ready for Sins of Sinister? Yeah, I'm ready. No. No. I've been ready. I was born ready. I was... I was having so much fun with Sinister being a dandy. We got a yes, we got a no. That guy. I don't want it. I, I, I gotta say, it, you know what? This issue has got me excited to see where it is 
going to go. But then at the same time, I also am like, oh, it is going to be another Judgment Day where everything just kind of gets reset at the end. I'm more worried that it's going to be an Age of X-Men or Age of Apocalypse. And it's just going to be like, what if Sinister ran the world? And like, I'm I'm just kind of nervous that this is going to be like um, a big Sinister resets the universe. And this is just sort of like why I've been Sinister was the bad voice in Judgment Day. He was Mm. the bad thing in the Celestial. If Tony Stark decided to recreate the world, it wouldn't be to eugenically torture people. Maybe. That is, you know, Sinister (laughs) is like literally here to destroy people. He's here to blow people's brains up. And not for the betterment of anyone but himself. And... This is like, I'm so excited that this is happening because we're at the point where now Sinister must come do for his sins. Like, this literally must be the point at which he can't just walk back on the council. And I'm thrilled about that. And at the same time, I am sad this great era of Sinister is ending. Frustrating that it's happening before Beast. <laughs> yeah! Oh, I was Why thinking that too. When you, that? when you said come up in, when you said come up in, so I was like, it's funny that we're getting Sinisters, but not yeah. Beast. And Beast I, yep. also really deserves it. I'm sorry to talk about another book, but there's another book that just came out in which uh he's getting the silent treatment for his crimes of building a prison moon <laughs> he's like my prison moon was a good idea see and they're like ignore him he can't hurt you if you ignore him and I'm like no <laughs> But the way this issue went full tilt from like, oh, Sinister, he's so funny and ineffective to like, oh. He's still pretty funny and ineffective. This is awful. I mean, well, like, and I mean, his final moves on the Quiet Council were horrific. Talk, and we're going to end up talking about some really bad uh, versions of Apocalypse, but I find it really interesting that we have, we got in Apocalypse this horrible villain gone kind of right. And I feel like we all were sort of excited that we might be getting that with Sinister and it just became very clear that it's a different vibe for Sinister. He is really like the best we're going to get is Silly Dandy but we're never going to get like he meets his wife and you know maybe things are okay when he finally does the thing that was his initial mission. We maybe can get that from one of these other Sinisters and you know we're not going to talk about it this week but we will eventually talk about who was right about who was in an orb. I'm just like to realizing that he can't ever be Apocalypse. No, you're absolutely right. And yeah. shouldn't be. There's I don't want it. He's so much better as a villain. Always has been. Sinister is not a hero. He there's a large section of the inter- internet who will tell you that you are a monster for even trying, but I don't think it should happen regardless of your moral views on Sinister. He is like Apocalypse was a nothing character. I've always liked Apocalypse. I have always liked Apocalypse, and he was nothing. Like until what happened to him in Donovan. So Sinister doesn't have that. I mean, but Sinister is the character you love to hate though. Like he's creepy yeah. and slimy and oily and he had that weird kiss of Jean Grey when she was unconscious in Inferno that made me go like ick all over that kind of never like in all of his characterizations the thing that made me go ick all over has never gone away and that it's been couched it's been reframed it's been made funny and and you know some of the edges been taken off it so it's a little more approachable because there's only so much like awful stuff you can do before you make a character like inaccessible and you, you want your villains to have some accessibility especially in an X-Men story but he's always been icky and like slimy and like like, and 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 it really, especially the art, the art reflecting Sinister the last few months, has just, just seems to be getting more oily and villainy, and it all fits really yeah. well. It's yeah, this has been a good a good transition from out of Sinister's leadership era into his villain revillain era, I guess. Yeah, I don't know what Moira was so worried about because <laughs> Destiny seems to be like more worried <laughs> about like trying to stop Sinister than anything that Moira 
I was ever trying to come up with. Like, I, I'm like, wait, this is a good thing. Like, I, 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 I've loved that now that Destiny has been resurrected, that basically her, her arc nemesis is Essex, which Essex, you know, all of them probably. But like, I, I, I can't wait to learn more about these uh, other Sinisters that we, you know, we finally got another one revealed and we still have one more to be revealed. I can't wait to learn it. I can't wait to go into this in Sinister to see if that relationship becomes like something more fleshed out or if, you know, or if Sinister's just like, I'm going to kill you, Irene. Ha! Yeah, the reveal of Sinister and Destiny having like an inextricable bond over the last 100, 150 years is mm-hmm. so brilliant last issue. And I love that it's going to be carrying forward. I, I am obsessed with their dynamic. I would need more of it. I would take an entire book that was just the two of them. This whole book kind of has been, but obviously other characters have gotten perspectives and I want to talk about them really quick because uh, Kate Pride is in this one. Kate Pride is in her I am hotter than I've ever been era. I don't know what's going on. Between Marauders, between this one, every book she's been in lately, she's just stunning. Lucas Wernick, if you want to draw people with black lipstick on for the rest of your life, I will buy those. <laughs> like, even Sinister looks good in this issue with his mustache and his little black lipstick, but I don't know what it is. Something about the way Wernick draws women with black lipstick on. I'm just like, whew, I'm obsessed with these characters now. And just like Kate Pride co- covered in blood is a lot of that, and there should be a lot of that. I love that they're reclaiming that she, yes, was actually a badass raised by Wolverine and should be doing more things like this. I love that writers who actually like her character are picking her up and doing things with her because I feel like that was not the case for quite a while. And I love um, that she's mm-hmm. drawn with like some some like heaviness this issue. Like one of the things I've loved about Veronique's art is that it's been so heavily hyper beautiful. And here, mm. there's like an aggression to the panel that does not seek to say beautiful. It says sexy and powerful and dynamic in other ways. Yeah. This is such a massive, you know, exploration of ability and versatility of style that I think really befits the nature of how the Quiet Council went from feeling like fat cat politicians to now they're a wartime council. Let's move into final thoughts, everybody. And I am sound out, Jake, because I feel like you're about to say something. Dark Beast's head is in a tube, which kind of negates some of the theories I had about current Beast, but there you go. But I just, oh, Essex is such a perfect villain for right now. I don't know what Moira was so, what was said about Moira and Destiny. No, it makes no sense to me anymore. I, I love an Age of Apocalypse house story because so much came out of the Age of Apocalypse once we got back. Like Dark yeah. Beast and his head in a tube. So I, I, I guess just, like, yeah, going into Sins and Sinister, let's do it. I, I gotta say, like, I, I love that we're actually getting an exploration of Moira's abilities through the clone work, uh, uh, through killing the clone. I love that we are actually seeing that you know that there is almost a hard limit that like her power just breaks reality so much you know once you get to 10 times you're kind of like oh shit that fractured <laughs> like, <Yeah>. no more <laughs> Steve you got any final thoughts oh I mean you all really covered it honestly I, ju- I, I just wanted to shout out the visual creativity of everything that happens in this issue like it is a comic look ass comic all of the things that I've had trouble with in other issues this week or in the last few weeks don't appear here everything works from panel to panel the structure is perfect Perfect. It looks incredible on the page. I always know exactly what is going on, which is my favorite thing in comics. It's the okay. thing I love about J.R. Jr. But the it, data page with the murder notes, I love it. Yeah, yeah. It looks like the entire <laughs> together on this issue, and it's phenomenal. You know, I just really am grateful for the work that Kieran Gillen did. He inherited something, and I wonder if the pivot from Moira to Sinister was because Kieran was like, I don't want to play with somebody else's thing. It's a beautiful thing, but that's not my thing. And I'm not going to finish someone else's story. I'm going to continue the legacy in a different way. Sinister is powered by Moira clones. So if Destiny ever had bad vibes about Moira, she's still technically the 
bad thing here. It's just through Sinister, who is so good at using the cloned bodies of very powerful women to frighten oh, God. kind of tracks. And mm -hmm. I just want to say a, a strong farewell to this era. You know, one of the things that I think was so great was they got us to stop calling it the Hickman era. And we never started calling it the Gillen era. We've been just calling it the, you know, the Immortal era or the continued Krakoan era. And my hope is that Gillen's, mm -hmm. you know, stamp yep. on this era is he gets to do his next thing. If it's still an X-Men, please. But like, if it's anywhere else too, it's just, he's done such a beautiful job. I'm, I'm sad to see this era end. That's funny. I never think of it as the Gillen era, but that's just because I feel like they've successfully gotten away from the idea of like- um, They've trained us from not doing that anymore. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 This is such a transitionary thing and it's like bigger than we could ever discuss in a way to really wrap up. And on top of that, it's going into something else. This is one that, like, my final thoughts are probably going to happen in, like, two years when yeah. everything has sussed out. But, like, issue to issue, it's really, like, you get in, you get all of the big thoughts really early on, which is, like, it's stupid gorgeous, it's really nuts, it's really cool, and, like, it's not flawless, but the whatever flaws are there kind of don't matter in a way that for some other books, for me, the flaws do matter. So, I mean, it is just a really interesting book, but it's, it's gonna, I'll be processing it for a while. We're back and this is like a dream come true segment for us in a lot of ways but i want to say that the people on this screen a number of us were involved in a major limbo project and we did not fucking know this issue was coming when we did that project and uh I, nathan i'm just so excited that you you get this this is just like i'm just like yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm over the moon for you so uh, uh yeah i i gotta say so uh, this legion of x number eight like I, at first i wasn't maybe sold on Spur spurrier's like you know series overall but the last few issues have been consistently getting better and better and better. This uh, is a personal favorite of mine so far um, for uh, for obvious reasons. The big reveal at the end. Go back to the circus. Margali Zardos. You're like, oh my god, it's Margali. But you know, just even even before that reveal, I, I just the use of Jax as the Black Knight, somebody who I, I absolutely love. We actually got a reveal of her mutant abilities. Like really, maybe not influenced, but like it was like coming out right about the same time we were doing our teams. And I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. This is like my team pretty much <laughs> like we got, Nightcrawler, we got Nightcrawler we got Jax then you know Morgali's there and I'm like oh my god but this this issue does a lot I, I can't wait to see how y'all feel about it but to start how do y'all feel about the involvement of Black Knight as an official mutant her power revealed I, I've got to say for me having Black Knight as a mutant is something that's cool because Dane her dad has always been often mutant adjacent hanging out a lot with Brian who's also a mutant adjacent and doing weird Black Knight and Captain Britain stuff but like the other world stuff I know right and then and then you like you know and then you get other you know Dane goes a lot of places he goes to other world wheel world weird world like the past all the time so how, how do y'all feel about the introduction the bridging over of Jack the Black Knight into this book we've been covering Black Knight on this show since I want to say the 12th episode this is episode 423 so we've been covering Black Knight night on this show for quite a while and uh we're fans uh producer kevo is actually now that he's on this segment has literally been a part of every segment that ever covers the black knight in all of that time <laughs> and it just it really feels like simon spurrier is coming in and saying this other person
person used to write this side of the Excalibur stuff, and they're icky to talk about now. So I'm going to do it so y'all can talk about it again. Maybe I'll get to the other Hellfire Club. Maybe not. <laughs> but either way, you guys get to enjoy cool shit again. I really am cool. apparently into this really only and specifically for the spirit of variance now, because Nico uh, made me into a Ghost Rider person, and now that's my whole identity. Uh, which is a weird place to be in. It's doubly weird because Nico's is Robbie Reyes, which is an amazing choice, but like, that's not how he got me into it, and that's not my Ghost Rider. And now, just like, suddenly out of nowhere, I'm really into like, Banshee with a flaming head and the, the Vox Ignis. Uh, I, there's just so much there. <laughs> but I love that it's like a C-plot story. It's very tertiary. Like you do with Banshee. Yeah, now I'm just reading a Banshee Ghost Rider book, and Love that for me. Yeah. Ghost Rider Banshee is also a, another one. Jonah, Jake, what are y'all thoughts? I think as a as a twist on the Ghost Rider concept, you know, especially since this book is really interested in spirits and like higher level being, higher level orders of beings, you know, what goes into the creation of deity in the Marvel Universe. It's complicating and kind of codifying these Ghost Rider spirits as sort of an order of their own and how they connect with humans and that there are many of them. It makes some sense. It feels constructively additive. Uh, given that we've had so many spirits of vengeance, there's got to be something else out there that's related. I like that it, this is it's the mute. This is kind of a queer cousin. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking at, I'm reading Tori's comment. If you don't have a flaming head, should you even be discussed on gay X Twitter? No, you shouldn't. <laughs> Poor Fair match, question. by the way. Poor match. Never had a chance. Jackie Chopper's powers remind me of infectious powers. That's that's what I came here to say. Sudden, like, I touch you and you have powers is very infectious, but it doesn't seem yep. like they burn people out death, which is, I don't know, maybe that's unfortunate, but um, but I really like the turns that this book has taken. I like that this feels like we're opening, we're, we're, we're pushing down and we're pushing the plot further. Um, and we're, yep. we're getting to understand, like, how these different kinds of magic are impacting uh, mutancy and the mutant nation. And it's it's it all feels very woo in a fun way with magic woo magic woo magic woo uh purple means he's into piercing so do it that with what you will i will say all the a b and c story have me fascinated for this title i am slightly concerned about how many spinning plates we have and whether or not we will be able to keep all three of them up um because it is a lot there there are three completely separate stories going on that are covering three separate topics and i am slightly concerned if we're going to have enough time for each story to get their proper justice because i actually think all three stories are quite interesting whether you're looking at the warlock doug story where there's a spirit that slithered into the husk that warlock was used to have and what that means for doug and what that means for the krakoan gates that are now dodging people whether we're looking at the black knight storyline and we're talking about magical storyline the winding way where we have margarly zavros we have this person who put the spell or curse on uh the black knight to have her powers kind of go out of haywire and give people who think mutants that are monsters monstrous mutations that are also just weird and funny like shooting ice beams out of your elbows where's his story <laughs> him and Iceman should you know have some and then there's also the blindfold visiting charles and being 
being like, that was you're amazing. a father. Do better. He doesn't need your help. He just wants your love, you bald, sad monster. She called him a monster. Um, well, and was like, right. Someone's got yeah. to. Need eyes to see the she truth. is not wrong. Not wrong. I, I didn't, I, she's He's just not saying just a jerk. No. <laughs> Charles Xavier is not just a big meanie. He is a big monster, according to Ruth. And so we have these three interesting storylines that I'm really interested to see where they go. But I am, like I said, concerned that are we going to have enough time to develop? Was Sysbury given enough time? Because obviously we don't know the future. We don't know how many more titles we have for this, whether this is going to Blindfold continue does. on. <laughs> That's why I said we. So I am a little concerned because I do know that Marvel does like to end stories after a certain number, and I do get worried about that. Yeah. But I will say I was very pleasantly surprised and happy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Charles is a fugly slut. Do not trust her. The skankiest bitch I have ever met. <laughs> John Stamos could not tell her that her hair was pretty. No. I was happy to see Margali. Yes. I was like, Margali! This caused me to reread some of the Nightcrawler series where I discovered a rediscovered a maybe the drop plot thread that um Nightcrawler says, Oh, Amanda Amanda was also rescued like Kurt, so like maybe Amanda's adopted. I gotta we gotta see if maybe hopefully nobody else picks up that because that's never been anywhere else except for the Nightcrawler series of Kurt from Chris Claremont. I'm so excited to see where this is gonna go though. I, I can't wait to see Morgali. I can't wait to see hopefully Jermaine comes back. Give me some Amanda, give me some Amanda, give me some Amanda. I I love how this is not an Excalibur book, but this is right now is reading like an Excalibur book of old to me. I'm like, like the weird part. Yeah, 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 the weird parts. And I'm yeah. like, oh my god. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is great. I love, I love. Uh, god, that was my shit. Like, I love, I love that. Um, and I just can't wait to see where this is going. I can't. The one thing with the, the Banshee, the Spirit of Variants, like, there's so much Ghost Rider lore coming into everything. Like, Jason Aaron's got a lot of it going on in his Avengers run. We got this. We got the other, the main Ghost Rider lore. I'm like, where does how, how does it all make sense? But you know what? At some point, you just go with it because it's fun, and you don't yeah. worry about it if it makes sense. It I want is- I want to put it in the Fantastic Four. I want to write the Spirit of the Fantastic, and I want it to be that like out of nowhere, uh, Sue Storm's hands can catch on energy fire, and she can burn the lies out of her kids. And- is it like our Ghost Rider powers, like Captain or out Universe? Of her damn husband! No, he's there's no help for him. But yes, it's like Captain. I'm pointing the wrong. Yes, it's like Captain <laughs> Universe powers. I'm still standing firm in my ideas that Mother Righteous almost has to be the heart sinister. She's stupid fabulous. She's hyper-obsessed yep. with genetically based creatures. Like, everybody in this book is somebody who's of a genetic lineage. So you've got the relation for Blindfold. You've got the relation for Legion. You've got the relation to uh, Mystique with Nightcrawler. You've got the relations uh, to, you know, maybe... Banshee the Masterminds with Pixie. Yeah. Oh, and Teresa is also, like, got some kind of spirit that lived in her for oh, a while. Oh, shit, she got the Morrigan. Yeah, I've, I'm really curious about how the Legion subplot is going to play into it because that that the end of that scene with Blindfold was really suggestive and I felt like it could go either way. He mentioned something called Daedalus and, you know, you're up on your Greek mythology. But I wonder because in the myth, Daedalus loves his son and he wants to help him and he wants him to be free. And it was Icarus's own hubris that caused him to fly too close to the sun. And I wonder, I feel like the, the way that scene left off could go either way. Either Charles 
is going to continue down the path of being a terrible father and a terrible monster and is going to enact some protocol to try and uh, trap Legion or control him, or he's going to give him some kind of tool that might help him thrive that he's like kind of been working on because he has this gnawing guilt. And I would frankly, I'd love to see that at this point. I want the, I want there to be some movement forward on that maybe relationship. Maybe like therapy. Yeah. Daedalus well, is the name of the therapist. <laughs> Daedalus. He's calling Daedalus. Dr. Daedalus is here to see you. Daedalus, Daedalus Samson. Dr. Daedalus yeah. will see you now. Yeah. I love it's just it's such a book. it's such an old it's such an old plot thread the xavier and legion like conflicting 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 it would be cool to see some advancement of that after all these years and and this would be such a great time in david's development for that too for that to occur I, I, so for me this book is a book that really has grown as the series has progressed i i think there's there were it, it had a for me a rough start maybe i just didn't love what it was doing at first so like with that i'm super excited about what's coming up uh the, we got the winding way coming up like you cannot be more excited for anything than like some fucking zardo stories like i'm like oh my god we got some Aaron mentions over the last few months we got the winding <laughs> way going on now like give me a big crossover event where it's the winding way i think the last issue didn't do the exact best job of setting up how much i was actually going to enjoy this issue i was a little bit worried when we first read number seven and we covered it because i think there were just some things that didn't quite drive because we didn't have all the information just yet but on reflection i think seven is a little bit better than i initially thought because eight has so many interesting storylines going on that i am just really excited to see how they're all going to play out i'm excited for all the potential that exists from the storylines that are coming up for this for ways to connect the x-men to more obscure parts of the marvel universe we just did avengers x-men eternals like the really big things that like you'd expect the x-men being such a big property to be connected to the x-men having their own spirit of vengeance that's really cool to me the x-men having a mutant that is black knight that is connected to the arthurian legend in a way that can then tie into the other world connections to arthurian legend that's really exciting to me getting back to the zardos family which now through our <laughs> avenger stuff could wind up being like one of the first families of marvel like there's stuff there too but all of this stuff is really obscure a lot of people don't know about it but the potential is so there and i think every time that is what gets me about this book i I think this book needs a symbiote. And then I think we're gonna psychically stroll into the summer of symbiotes ready to fuck some shit up. And then Ooh. when it's the fall of the ghost riders, we're gonna have a ghost rider. You're gonna have a ghost rider. We're gonna put a Marvel high concept in every fucking one of these books. And then suddenly the whole Marvel universe is gonna be inextricably linked, which is why Loki wound up in every book for a couple of months. That's True. the magic of actually not giving a shit about what movie studio has what right. And cause size Spurrier's weird enough. Make it that weird symbiote from Ben Percy's Wolverine that was so wacky that it had no reason to be there. Do oh. it. I want it. Or the one from the one from Marauders. Sure. Lost. There's that neon one from uh, from Damage Control that popped up. That'd be fun. Love it. Love it. Give me a real faggy neon one. Yes. And then uh, as Tori post, uh, Alyssa Wong symbiote. No, but if I can get a real faggy one. Yeah. yeah. Like, Tori. I love, yeah, yeah. Like a neon queer yes. symbiote that's like, hey, you know what I mean? Like. I <laughs> I love her already. Yeah, this book is so much about family, 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 family everywhere. You know, whether it's Kane, you know, agonizing over his relationship with Charles to Black Tom, you know, Banshee, you know, not wanting to have a relationship with Black Tom, uh, Warlock's dad is dead, Legion's having a tough time with his dad. Like, there's so many I mean, daddy issues here, but like, just so many just really interesting family dynamics being explored. And since, you know, the X-Men at its core is, is to me about chosen family, there's something really resonant about these 
characters who are not only like living amongst their chosen people, but having to deal with their bio family and kind of find some resolution in sharing this space together. Because all mutants should be welcome on Krakoa and all people who have like, like Juggernaut, who have supported and like been waved into the mutant family should be welcome on Krakoa and shouldn't be kept out because they have weird family baggage with their brother who have to be the head of like an Alamba Flight Council. I really like what this book is doing relationally. I like seeing how these characters are growing together, whether they're coming into conflict or they're coming to concords. It's really exciting and I think is really advancing some decades old character work in new and interesting ways. Everybody, I'm Tori. You can find me on Twitter at Tori underscore Sheehan and on Instagram at SM Tori. That's Tori with an I. And I'm here to learn a whole lot about this ex-girlfriend of Iceman. The Karen's fog. Yeah, like Kevo Cal- <laughs> just said, the Karen my fog. Okay, the ex-girlfriend to Iceman. I uh, I want to start there. Uh, <laughs> first thing first, we're here to talk about the X-Men Annual by Steve Fox with beautiful art by Andrea DeVito, colors by Sebastian Chang, and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And and the first thing I want to say is, so I open this book and I'm like, all right, well, there's Angelica. And I'm like, I guess Bobby can be Eliza. And I'm like, oh, Alex is Peggy. <laughs> uh, one, one theater chuckle right down there. Great. I know my audience. So, um, the X-Men annual. Uh, the X-Men hamual, as it were. I really am so fucking tired of this team. Being everywhere and having one beat. We don't like each other. We shouldn't be here, but fuck anyway. Even the sibling. And then Steve Fox comes in and says, I'm gonna write a pretty good issue. It's not necessary. It doesn't really do much. But what it will give me is a reason to remember why I like this team. It's not that Jerry Duggan isn't a competent writer. He's an excellent writer. But I'm tired of this team. It's not that their involvement in Dark Web and Judgment Day doesn't make sense. All of their inclusions by Kieran Gillen and guys like Zeb Wells are terrific. They are brilliant writers. I'm tired of this team. I am really glad that Steve Fox did this special. I'm tired. So how do you guys feel about the team that was forced down our throats at the Hellfire Gala that's been on the cover of every fucking book? I actually like Firestar being on a team and I like I like this issue for diving into, you know, a lot of her concerns. I love the use of the Hellions. I mean, I got to see my big goofy purple cat, Cat's Eye. Like, uh, I love this issue. The, the whole makeup of the team overall sucks. <laughs> it sucks so much. Like, it's havoc versus Cyclops all the time. We've got, like, all the time. We've got, like, Forge just being a jackass. We've got Yana not really doing much but being the magic wool bust and taking people everywhere. Uh, we've got, like, uh, you know, it's cute to see Iceman and Firestar, but, like, in comics, they're not even like that much of friends but like oh my god they were on a cartoon together that's not in comics so they're best friends <laughs> yeah there's, there's a lot so 05 heavy it's so like it's like retread and like sync i'm just like i love that sync's getting some you know characterization and doing really like sync but like also like the whole vault thing with laura was like why did she, why, why bring her back that that's not gonna do any good for anybody's story it's been really weird that we are given this team that in continuity they're saying like it needs to be the flagship X-Men team. We need to 
go back to New York. We need to go back to the thing that America in the Marvel Universe, but also America, the readers know and love, which is the X-Men being in the world, being the X-Men. And then, you know, we got a weird mixed but not bad first year of that. You know, some interesting stuff happened, a lot of it being like Sync becoming Sync, you know, getting his due finally. And that was really cool. But there was a lot that was like, okay, there are characters in this book that are barely appearing and are like showing up to say they're going home. <laughs> then we redo the Hellfire Gala and the vote again. Feels a little soon. Okay. This time around, it's literally like everybody hates being on the team. Their their purpose there was yes. like a joke. It's yeah. just like if the idea is to have a flagship X-Men team that we're supposed to recognize as being an X-Men team, drama is fine. Yeah, why why do they hate it? And why yeah. why are some of them like literally spiteful jokes? Yeah. This is like the assimilationist type team, and all the characters on the team are a lot of very assimilationist type characters. Like Havoc totally is. He works for the government. he works for the government. Forge works for the government. You know, you got Angel here. But then like magic makes no sense being on a team of these like assimilationist mutants. No. Neither does Cyclops anymore. Like after everything he went through through Utopia. Iceman Iceman uh, Iceman's kind of an assimilation. We'll give him that. But like, and then Jean like turned into like the biggest assimilationist of all. She's like, we'll bring back your dead for you. I think that's more about not denying people a, a resource, oh, um. but I do hear what you're coming from. If it wasn't the preciousness of life, I would be like, assimilationist, but I more see it like, <laughs> I'm a phoenix, guys. Want to see some eggs? Want to see some eggs? Does she lay them? What are you saying? <laughs> I'm is she... Nathan, Nathan, listen to me. Nathan, did you read Avengers 62? Nathan? 64. Nathan, 64. Oh, I haven't read 64 yet. Not yet. No, oh my God, is it Nathan, crazy? we get some serious answers about Phoenix. <gasps> okay, I have to read that after you this. watch her lay an egg out of her Phoenix cloaca? That's what I, that's the only answer I I'm looking I really for recommend now. you read it, this yes, because yes, she's it better an be actual giant that. bird. <laughs> She's an actual giant fucking bird, okay? So we will be discussing more, don't worry. Jonah, Tori, Jake, this side. I need to know, what are your guys' feelings about this team, this book, this, uh, and Firestar, the titular character? This issue is kind of what I've been waiting for after calling her the resident diversity hire. She finally kind of showed up, and I was really appreciative that we kind of got a story focusing on Firestar, because she's the character I think this issue should have came a long time ago, or at least what this issue was trying to talk about. This issue was a little too long in the making, and I feel like it's really unfortunate that a story like this came so late in this team's lifespan, because I hear this sentiment and the, the almost tiredness of this team, because they're being written without chemistry, and part of that is you're writing a, a lot of this team already has pre-established relationships and already pre-established bonds. It doesn't feel as exciting that now they're all just mad at each other and don't want to really work together or hate each other or kind of going against one another it feels a little trying it's a little tired for me so i am a little bit ready to kind of retire this team which is unfortunate because there are some cool characters here but that is just kind of the way of uh, this team did get a little squandered in my opinion however i did find this issue a very big breath of fresh air because it felt like an actual team where nobody was fighting and the idea of this issue makes perfect sense especially if we're going to be focusing on angelica firestar so I'm, I am like, very appreciative. Angelica Firestar. And that's got Cyclops and his brother, Alex Cyclops. Stop it. No. 
I'm obsessed, Jonah. That's Wait, is Jean is Jean Grey Jean Grey Marvel Girl? It's Jean Jean Grey. Jean Jean Grey. <laughs> Jonah, you have literally explained so much of why superheroes struggle secret identity for so long. Jean <laughs> Grey. Well, yeah, because all these superheroes, their last name is their superhero identity. I don't know why they didn't choose a different name. Yeah, and you actually do that all the time. You do go Alice Blair Dazzler, <laughs> Teresa, you know, Teresa O'Rourke Cassidy Siren, and like you're right. It's a hyphenated name. It's, yeah, Jean Jean. Jean Jean Grey, love her. Um, I uh, I have a couple a couple of notes. One, what the hell is on Firestar's chest? Is that a starfish? What is that? Is it what if it's a Firestar? What's a Firestar? That doesn't seem like a real thing. And therefore, Aren't was Jumbo Carnation drunk? No, sure. If you want to get into like technically, gas. they're balls of gas. They're gas, but they're like ignited gas, right? Uh, I don't. You know, I, that it, one. It's like it looks like a star that I would have drawn on my note, like a freehand star that I would have drawn on my notebook poorly because I don't know how to do proportion. Like, I don't understand it. Is it spinning? It's supposed to be spinning? Okay, let's set it, let's set it aside. Let's set it. How long has Iceman been wearing a sex harness as his costume? Uh, <laughs> today? Since, the, since the Infinity series where he moved back to LA. Because, or he moved to LA because so he's like, oh, uh, that makes so much sense. Uh, he's in LA just wearing a harness around. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. And that's like his only, it's, it's, it's like a harness and like, it almost looks like a jock the way that X-Belt comes in, but okay. Love it. It's actually when, he's, life. when he's out so, of ice form, it's beast. like an all white outfit. Oh, that's cute. But I still like it. I like that it's suggestive of a harness because who doesn't want to grab that? Bybees was such a funny joke and I love those like Bobby. Uh, but the thing that I really loved about this was Angelica's take on how she related to mutant community because I, I found it to be this really familiar kind of experience, like queer experience of the, the queer person who doesn't find their entry point into queer community and kind of stays out and says, you know, I don't have a place here. Why would I be here? Um, before maybe eventually finding that entry point and kind of tiptoeing their way in. I remember a lot of, a lot of queer folks as media representation was only showing one kind of queer person for a while didn't feel like they were represented in media there's something really genuine about her sort of what she's saying about like i didn't I, I didn't feel like i had a place like i tried mutant community as a young person it went catastrophically bad so i went with the avengers because they were all superheroes of different stripes. i i like that i like that take it, it got me more than i thought it would i usually just kind of hate her but um steve fox did a really great job humanizing her and really queering up her experience in a way that i felt some some powerful resonance, um, which I thought was incredible. I, again, I hate this character. Well, while we all kick back with a big bowl of jello and some glue, uh, Tori, why don't you talk to us about your feelings about Firestar, and we'll be this. off to the races. One, do the X-Men and the Avengers actually hate each other? Because it feels like they got beat. You know, mm. it's sort of like the Avengers. And the, Mets. the Avengers don't hate the X-Men. Oh. The Avengers don't think about the X-Men. Oh, like it's a... the Mets-Yankees problem? Oh, yeah. It's like a perceived rivalry, but you're all in the same <laughs> league, you know what I mean? Like, you're all okay. playing Major League Baseball. Okay. The day. Okay. And you've all kind of got your thing. You've got your stadium. There's not as much overlap, but you only got so many heads to put baseball caps on, bro. Gotcha. So... Gotcha. Okay, well then, I guess my other thing was is that I wasn't as bothered by the team obviously because I haven't been reading them for forever but also just because um they were there for all of the like big splashy fight pages and I was like that nice pretty <laughs> move along back to the hospital please because it doesn't really have any resonance into the story itself it's just a bunch of fun ideas to make the annual exciting I wasn't that bothered by it I had questions to myself of why Cyclops is the one she's heard up with when it seems like Iceman is the one that they she normally gets paired up with. But then I remembered we have to have Jean have a link back to them so they chat. And so I was like, fine, it's Cyclops, I guess. 
Although I want to know what everyone else was doing when him and Gene are like snuggling in the middle of the meeting and having their telepathic communication. I'm just like, is everyone else just like, so uh, what level are you on Candy Crush? Like, you get Ronald today? I took six. Like, what's up? Like, so for me, like, I don't, I didn't know anything about this character. I didn't know anything about a lot of the characters on the side that I saw. I didn't know who this whole group of people who were mad at her were about, even though they looked super cool. So I just enjoyed like a story of a gal who's like coming into a new school and trying to like make her way into, you know, she's been forced onto the super popular big team. And now she's like, okay, but now everyone hates me because I used to work for the other guys who are still on our team but not really and I was just like okay this is interesting and I love also the idea of like Krakoa sending medicine and all of that um, all of that fun introspection (laughs) 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 all of the idea that um, Krakoa is providing resources for the community for the countries and I'm so fascinated that there are some major countries that are saying no to it and that I love that there's a black market thing because because of course there would be black market things. So like the world building that was done in this was really cool for me. And I liked all of the little sidebar things that were like, how does she get her costume? And the other one that's escaping me right now, but I found them really cool. And I just think that like, it was a solid intro issue, I guess. And you got to see like a bunch of characters that you sort of know get to be super cool and blast things out of the sky. And, you know, I do think it was just kind of a fun issue. The, the, the thing I just need to point out is like, bless whoever decided Fred J. Dukes get to look like this. Yeah. Because, you know, there really are more than one, there really is more than one way to be beautiful and sexy and hot as shit. Well, it started in um, Age of X-Men, right? Yeah. And I just really love that we live in a world where Blob is high and, you know, he can be 400 pounds and high. And like, it mm-hmm. genuinely kind of looks like Blob there is doing his best Arturo costume. <laughs> Like the mustache. Uh, I see it. With the mustache. Yeah. With the hair. He's super hot. He looks super cool. Uh, you know, Victor's had a great impact on him. I just want to thank this issue for being one that didn't just exist when I'm like, why does it have to exist? But I'm walking away with some cool moments from it. And I would love to get everybody's final thoughts on this issue. We'll go Nathan, TK, Na- Nathan, TK, and then Jonah Tori, Jay. Okay, so I, I have to say, I love the bringing in of Whirlwind as the uh, adversary for this issue. It, it made perfect sense with Firestar as a character. Totally. That Like, they're the two same, same types of mutants. You know, like, she obviously went in the opposite direction now. You know, and he's just kind of like, oh, I don't care that I'm a mutant. They're going to fucking kill us all anyway. So let's just go steal some shit. I, it, it's fun. You know, like, Whirlwind's ass and, like, famously stalked Jan Van Dyne for years. Like, so, like, I always like to see him get taken down. Um... I did love the use of Hellions. I loved, um, I loved it. Like, even though she didn't get much time, like this panel right here where um, Roulette is sitting right next to Cat's Eye and Cat's Eye's tail is going. I'm like, oh my God, this is like the best thing ever. So weird that the Hellions though would try to go after Angelica after they all died because they were attacked by Sentinels. So like, wouldn't they like maybe see why maybe she wouldn't have wanted to have been so closely associated with being a mutant? I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's weird. But I know, I know they have history. They have beef, you know. Ah. Thank <laughs> you. 
<laughs> they, you have me. And a little Bevatron. And Bevatron. <laughs> yeah, Nico, you summed it up perfectly. Like, this team has been rough. This last year with the team has been rough. This was a great issue for this team, but having it be the last one of the year after a rough year, it, it just unfortunately makes it difficult for it to be as well received as it could have been. But really great writing. You know, I, I've responded better to Firestar than I thought I would. I hope things get better in 2023 for the flagship X-Men. <laughs> Jay Jonah, Jane the Blurst. Kid, what you think? So I ultimately was really happy with this issue. I was really fascinated with them talking about uh, Angelica's chemotherapy, talking about how her powers gave her radiation. There's one quick thing I want to talk about, and I have to say thank you to TK for helping me recognize who these characters are. There is a moment where we see Angelica in her apartment, and I initially thought it was Misty Knight, Hellcat, and somebody I couldn't recognize. And TK was like, is that Colleen Wing? And then he looked no, into it. No, it's the Marvel Divas. It's the Marvel Divas. It's the Marvel Divas. It's, Divas. it's Monica Rambeau. It's Hellcat Patsy. Patsy Hellcat, I should say. Patsy and, Hellcat. And, but it is also Black Cat. Black Cat's just very easy to recognize. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something that I was talking about with TK that I would love, and it would have been nice, as cheesy as it sounds, anything to give an indication that that is Monica Rambeau, if you're not immediately familiar with those of the divas, yeah. like giving her like a little star earring, something, because mm. we have so many, there are so many beautiful black women in Marvel Comics that they should have a little bit of a designation of, you should be able to identify one from another. If you're not fully familiar of the exact area of where they're from point digress everything else about this issue kind of worked for me um, and i'm really kind of excited well for the new team I enjoyed this a lot. I just found it to be fun. I really liked the major story here. I had a good time. I liked I liked Firestar. I loved the zombie X-Babies, which were adorable and hilarious and so much fun. And I love the comment of, why is he so obsessed with them? <laughs> so that was really fun for me. And I think just the idea of getting welcomed in, even if it's, even if it's a little 50-50, for a lot of people I think is really important to show that like not everyone is in lockstep on Krakoa. I continue to come back to how ultimately fascinated I am with how much good character work we've gotten in the last what is it 2023 now almost four years like what a privilege it's been to see these mutants grow and to get some deep cuts who've been on the page and really gotten some time to like shine and develop and Firestar though you know controversial is is no no exception there and this is this is an issue where she really shines pun pun is there well written it's solid it keeps the focus really on her and she's got something you know she's got something to say about the Krakoan experience that hasn't really been uh fully explored and I think that it's it's done well here and I think Steve Fox did a really phenomenal job putting a character like that front and center in a team book um and letting the team you know kind of sit in the background doing what it needs to do while she's having her art um and I just I love the Artemis too I love how her costume just glows a little bit throughout even though it has that weird star thing so all in all really solid annual A few weeks back, we played an unforgettable game. (laughs) And in the course of that unforgettable game, we swore there would be a sequel. Oh, oh, shit. We said there would be something greater than a sequel. I am summoning Christmas back. Thank you, Kevo. You're the greatest producer of the world. (laughs) 
and uh, from this gorge. Oh, and we're back. And from this, I believe uh, I am. I am flip flacking the baton over that way. It's my turn. Uh, so, guys, you know, I talked to the bigwigs. They were so impressed with your pitches. Uh, with the books that you wanted to do. They're really just excited about this new creative talent, these brilliant ideas that you have. But they thought, you know, can we get some synergy in? Can we get this trending? What's cool with the kids these days? What's going to go on the TikToks? And they said they heard that the 90s are very cool right now. And they really want to get 90s with it. So... um, the the suits have asked me to come to you and say that uh, <laughs> they would like to do a 90s event and uh, they have decided they would like to title. They think this is brilliant and I couldn't agree more. And I know you all do, too. Uh, it's Age of 90s. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's very good. <laughs> it it is very good. These are people who have good ideas and make a lot of money. And extremely good. Extremely they have good. asked me to pair each of you with an iconic 90s team and for you to tell a story explaining how the team that you created wound up with this iconic 90s team, whether it be through time travel forward, time travel backward, a reunion, you can do it however you want, but you are each going to be paired with a team and I'm going to tell you who right now. Uh, Are like scrolls, robots... Magic mind control is it all in the mix? Anything is possible. You yeah, and more. You you will you're about to okay. see. Uh right off the bat, I'm talking about uh that iconic nineties team, Forceworks, one of my personal oh my favorites. God. Uh absolutely love Forceworks, and I'm very excited to say that Nathan is going to be <laughs> going with Forceworks. West Coast Avengers Forever. There you go. Yeah, and you know, if you wanna if you wanna gesture more towards that, that's okay. Um, next we've got the original getting new life right now, but the original Midnight Suns, a uh, little spooky, a little, uh, uh, magic-y. I couldn't think it goes to a better person than Jacob. Oh. Jacob. You stole you- the Flaming Skull from Nico? <laughs> I'm like, when you said that, I was like, it must be going to me. Everybody, I was like, that's so Nico. That's so Nico. Oh, oh. My friends, it gets so much better. I re- these really were random, and I will tell you, if there's one better piece of synergy for Nico, it is, of course, <laughs> Thorcore. <laughs> Out of my way! <laughs> Again, just a bunch of white dudes and a horseman being Thors, doing Thor stuff, which is just so Nico. Uh, just so Nico guys being Thors. How is my team going to do this? <laughs> and then wow. we've got, of course, uh, the skateboarding new warriors featuring our friend uh, Angelica Th- Firestar and other people, including uh, a dude who no, used to bounce and then started to do bondage stuff. And that is going to be for Tori. Oh, no. <laughs> oh yes. Who are these people? <laughs> Is that and that, <laughs> and that no, leaves no. us <laughs> and that leaves us with an iconic team from the 90s but not the 90s you're thinking of it's X-Men 2099 and that's going to Jonah Yay. Oh my Lanta 
So uh, we will. I will go over with you the specific parameters and rules, but you're going to have more time than we gave you last time. You're going to have at least a month. Um, so we are going to, yeah, I know you're going to need some research, but uh, you're going to pitch another story for the amazing team that you created. And we are going to get back together to tell the story of how everybody got super nineties. And that's a really cool and good idea. Thank you, TK. Yes. Oh. <laughs> I, I can see how happy you all are and how great this is going to turn out. Uh, to quote a, a person that Nico is a huge fan of now, I can't wait to see how this turns out. I, 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 uh, okay. Which queen do I love is that? It's RuPaul. <laughs> Oh, okay. Yeah. I completely. So oh, I see. So you were trying to have a reunion without me. <laughs> she wasn't invited, but she's here. <laughs> Never forget whose podcast this is, sweetie. You've been showing me too much sense. drag race. I've been watching too much holiday. Uh, Magic Parks competition and also too much drag race. So I'm feeling very dramatic. The drama is high. The drama is high. Wow. I am I'm so excited to play more. I'm thrilled. This is this is wild. I'm We're gonna have fun, don't worry. Oh, it's gonna be a blast once once we each learn a little more about the nineties. We will get you hooked up with everything you need to know about the new warriors. Really one of them does fight with a skateboard. Get excited. I, yeah. I can't wait. Oh, I love skateboards. Oh, Night Thrasher. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you've got, uh, you've got the, like the, the clone of Namor's cousin. <laughs> Namorita. And you have Morbius, the worst mutant. Morbius is going to have a flip phone, I think. You're the worst <laughs> mutant ever in existence. <laughs> Justice. Later on, I'm going to flash him again. Yeah. I mean, we're all doing great. We <laughs> so we've got sure, four sure. works for Nathan, it's right? Yep. Yeah. Midnight, Midnight Suns for Jake. Thorcore for Nico. Is Tori. Tori gets the new Warriors. And of Ooh, course, Jonah, Jonah gets such a good 90s team. Oh, Tori, you have Dick Rider. Well, that's new for me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but his name is Richard Ryder. <laughs> And I really feel like uh, we couldn't end on a better note than that. Um, so thank you guys all for playing the original game. And if you are watching and are wondering what we're talking about, go check out one of our previous live shows, our Christmas special, uh, where... Oh, I'm sorry, Kevo, are we able to put a, a link to that somewhere in the, the video, Captain Producer? Yeah, as an after. Yeah. Thank you. So we'll, we'll put a link in for anybody who's watching after. Um, but... Uh, yeah, everybody did really awesome pitches, and everybody's going to do another awesome pitch. I'm so wait. amped. I'm so mm -hmm. amped. All right. Well, I do it's believe gonna be, be good. Yes, the end of this broadcast. I'm pretty sure. So yeah, I would love to get uh, re-sign-offs from everybody. And as a big thank you, please don't forget to check out xsforpodcast.com, where you can get all of the information you need to check out, play along, and do more. Check us out on Twitter and whatever social medias are still around. And we'll go from there. And uh, I'm Nico. You guys can check me out on Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N on all the socials. 
And I am TK. Same thing, all the socials, Hive, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram. It's xnatexgrayx. Come and find me. And I'm Nathan. You can find me on at Desler AOA on all the Twitters, all the Twitters, all the socials, mainly Twitter. I'm Tori. You can find me on Twitter at Tori underscore Sheehan and on Instagram at SM Tori. That's Tori with an I. Kevo, really? K E V O R E A L L Y. And I'm Jake. You can find me on Twitter at Omega Sentinel. That's O H Mega Sentinel. And I'm Jonah. And you can follow me over anywhere you find at Peak Jonah. And we did survive the experience. Good job, everyone. Into the new year. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year. Year. 2023. It's going really well. The show is brought to you by the Hubs Plus Network. So don't forget to like and subscribe for more amazing content. And while you're at it, if you want to, you can hit that little bell so that you get alerted by about our videos. We have about three to four videos a week, and you want to check that out covering all sorts of comics, Marvel, and more. And until next time, keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open. Remember, we still have one more Sinister to have revealed, but we're pretty sure we know who she is. And... Until next time, we'll see ya. Bye. Bye. Bye.